We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 298 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, April 22nd, 2022. A happy Friday to you and yours. Uh, One week from today, we will know what our commanders have done in the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Will our commanders have taken command in the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft? Will we be happy with what our commanders have done in the first round of the 2022 Draft? Or will we be angry at what our commanders have done in the first round of the 2022 Draft? Will we be rejoicing or will we be spewing venom? I so hope that the former will be the case. I so hope that we like what our commanders do on night one of the 2022 draft. I don't know about you. I'm tired of all of the bad news, okay? I'm tired of the constant negativity. I'm tired of the constant negative talk. I want happy talk with our football team. Now, of course, the team must earn the happy talk. We're not just going to talk happy talk when happy talk is not warranted, but we certainly can hope for reason to talk happy talk. Uh, Although knowing the way that things have been working with our football team, watch Congress, watch the House Committee on Oversight and Reform this coming Thursday night, right after the commanders make their first round pick, make some big announcement or release some major document or do something regarding the workplace misconduct scandal or the financial scandal or maybe both or maybe something totally new. I mean, who the heck knows? All right. You expect the unexpected. You expect the shoe to drop at the worst possible moment with our football team, such as life these days. If you're a Commanders fan, you know, you have one eye on football and one eye on scandal. Well, next segment, uh, we will talk football. Uh, I have a guest to talk Commanders football with us, NFL analyst and Commanders fan, Samuel Gold. Uh, I've had Samuel on the podcast. 
He is really good. Samuel does these great film breakdowns on his YouTube channel, Sam's Film Room, uh, to which he has close to 97,000 subscribers. Yeah, nearly 97,000 subscribers. And Samuel recently has posted in-depth breakdowns of his top five quarterbacks in the 2022 draft. Uh, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, and Sam Howell. Although Samuel, very interestingly, does not rank those guys in that order. And so we're going to discuss the 2022 draft from the perspective of the commanders with the quarterbacks. Uh, Yes, the commanders have made the trade for Carson Wentz, but should they just totally pass on drafting a quarterback? Uh, We know it has been said about this 2022 quarterback class that it isn't very good, but is that true? Will that prove to be the case? And while the commander's taking a quarterback with their number 11 overall pick in the 2022 draft appears highly unlikely, what about the commander's taking a quarterback with their second round pick? The number 47 overall pick in the 2022 draft. Uh, Samuel Gold believes that the steal of the draft, a quarterback, may well be available to the commanders with their second round pick. And of course, the commanders could take a quarterback beyond the second round of the 2022 draft. So next segment, high level NFL draft quarterback talk with Samuel Gold. You'll hear breakdowns of the top quarterbacks in the 2022 draft, what the commanders should be thinking regarding quarterbacks in the 2022 draft, and much more. Also on the show, I'll talk Nationals. A tough loss for the Nats on Thursday, a 4-3 loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park, despite Juan Soto coming up with the bases loaded and two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, Soto, sadly, did not come through. Uh, The Nats bullpen, though, did come through. A tremendous performance in relief of Josh Rogers, who struggled. Also, Nelson Cruz hit a moonshot of a two-run homer. We had very mixed injury news for the Nats on Thursday. A lot to talk about with the Nats. I will talk about it all. Always know you get comprehensive Nats talk on this podcast and on the other podcast that I do, Nats Chat with Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. Uh, good luck finding comprehensive Nats talk on other podcasts and radio shows. You get that talk right here on this podcast and on Nats Chat. And you also on this podcast get Orioles talk. And we'll talk O's later in the show. Uh, the O's lost on Thursday, 6-4 the final at the Oakland A's, as we had both designated hitter Trey Mancini and manager Brandon Hyde getting ejected In the top of the fourth, I'll discuss what happened and plenty more from the game. Uh, Two quick items. Uh, We now know that the Capitals will be beginning their postseason run on the road, and the Caps will be doing this for the first time since 2012, believe it or not. Uh, Both the Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Rangers won on Thursday night, so those two teams have clinched the top two spots in the Metropolitan Division in some order. So the best that the Caps can finish in the regular season is third in the Metro. But that is crazy, right? That the Caps haven't begun a run in the Stanley Cup playoffs on the road since 2012, 10 years ago. I mean, the Caps make the Stanley Cup playoffs basically every season. But for the longest while here, the Caps have been beginning their postseason runs at home. Uh, Also, major change to the Commander's Radio 
broadcast per multiple reports. D'Angelo Hall out, London Fletcher in. Uh, D. Hall had been the in-game analyst for radio broadcasts of Washington games for each of the last two seasons. I thought that D. Hall was pretty good. We'll see how London does. The best in-game analyst for Washington games in recent years, though, was Chris Cooley. And yes, I'm biased in saying that. Uh, Cooley's a friend. But what Cooley did in analyzing games was next level, okay? He essentially would do in-game film breakdowns. uh, But Cooley is not doing anything with the team anymore. And he's living out West these days and uh, he's doing just fine. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Kim in Pennsylvania of my conversation with two-time Super Bowl champion Chris Long on Thursday's show, episode 297. Chris was excellent in discussing commander's quarterback Carson Wentz, of whom Chris was a teammate for two seasons with the Philadelphia Eagles 2017 and 2018. Writes Kim, great interview with Chris Long. A lot to think about. Hope Carson Wentz does mature this year. Certainly an interesting story on him. I think, though, he will indeed have very big highs and very big lows. That's a set piece for him. I do remember him running circles around us, although we didn't have the big D back then. Uh, I will assume that D stands for defense. Uh, Yeah, you could argue that we don't have the big D now. Uh, We certainly did not have the big D over the first eight games of last season, but hopefully we will have a big D uh, this coming season. (laughs) But continues, Kim, I do wonder if Ron Rivera is intrigued enough with C.J. Stroud. I believe Ron did briefly meet with Stroud at Ohio State recently, along with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, to take a swing at Stroud in the draft next year. Uh, Thank you for the email, Kim. Uh, Much more on the quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL Draft coming up next segment with Samuel Gold. Uh, But yeah, it is worth noting that already the 2023 NFL Draft is being viewed as potentially being a great draft For quarterbacks, uh, the 2023 draft could include Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud, Alabama quarterback Bryce Young, South Carolina quarterback Spencer Rattler, Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. Now, so many things could change between now and the 2023 draft in terms of who we view as the best collegiate quarterbacks. I get that, but at least right now, the 2023 draft looks like it could be loaded at quarterback. And so that may be the thinking from Ron Rivera. See what happens with Carson Wentz this coming season. Pass on taking a quarterback high in this 2022 draft that is perceived to be quarterback poor. And if the commanders next offseason are right back to needing to get themselves a franchise quarterback, then go all in on trying to take a stud quarterback in the 2023 draft. Uh, email from Billy D in NC, North Carolina, North Kekalaki, on something that I talked about on Thursday's show, episode 297. Ron Rivera, in a conversation with former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson for the Commanders, making it a point to highlight the Ohio State receivers, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. This as Terry McLaurin is entering the final season of his four-year rookie contract. Writes Billy D. I hope you are well. Really enjoying the pod. Keep it up. Thank you, Billy D. 
I appreciate that. I will try to keep it up. I can't promise you anything, but I'll try. Uh, continues Billy D. I was very interested in Don Ron bringing up the Ohio State receivers in his recent comments to Logan Paulson. Do you think the commanders drafting Wilson or Olave could be motivated not only by the fact that they are good receivers, but also by drafting one of them being seen as an incentive for Terry McLaurin to sign a long-term deal. Terry did play with Chris Olave. I would think having one of his former teammates on the Commanders might help get Terry to sign thoughts. Uh, Well, I would say this. If the Commanders draft Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, the Commanders should do so because they believe in that player. Uh, Not because they're trying to convince Terry McLaurin to sign a long-term contract extension. A team should never let the wants or desires of a player on the team dictate who the team takes in an NFL draft. Now, it just so happens that Wilson and Olave are really promising NFL draft prospects, and so drafting one of them would coincide with the commanders liking the player. But if, say, the USC receiver, Drake London, is available to the commanders with their number 11 overall pick, and Wilson and Olave also are available to the commanders at 11, and the commanders prefer London over Wilson and Olave, then the commanders should take London. And actually, the word is that London is the number one receiver on the commander's draft board. But the Terry McLaurin contract situation should not dictate what the commanders do with their number 11 overall pick. What ultimately would compel Terry McLaurin to sign a long-term contract extension with the commanders are two things. How good the team is, and let's be honest, money, okay? Uh, Everything that the commanders do in player personnel should be about making the team better and not about placating any one player or appealing to any one player. And knowing what we know about Terry, he's probably not the kind of player who would want the commanders to draft a player just because Terry is friends with that player. And keep this in mind too, Terry already has a good Ohio State buddy on the commanders in Curtis Samuel. Uh, Terry and Curtis were part of the same 2014 Buckeyes recruiting class. Uh, Speaking of the Terry McLaurin contract situation. Email from Mike P. writes, Mike, you have to pay, Terry. It's a must. A few years from now, it will be a bargain. I know it will burn the pockets now, but when is the last time we even had this discussion about a receiver on this team? You cannot let him slip away. He attracts fans, is a competitor, a leader, a true number one. He has earned it. I'd rather pay the man then worry about who's next. Don't make the mistake. Get it done. Uh, Yeah, man. Uh, I've talked about this. I very much believe this. The commanders should pay Terry McLaurin. And honestly, I think that they will. Uh, I would be very disappointed if the commanders did not get a contract extension done with Terry this offseason. But as I have said, patience, okay? We need to be patient. Big money contract extensions often don't happen until late in off-seasons, uh, unless the player has just been traded for, like the contract extension that receiver Tyree Kill got upon being traded to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, now, sometimes big money contract extensions for players do happen relatively early 
in off-seasons. Uh, the extension this off-season for Buffalo Bills receiver Stephon Diggs, uh, the Maryland product, is an example of that. But especially in recent Washington history, there have been plenty of big money off-season contract extensions that happened deep into off-seasons, including the Jonathan Allen contract extension last off-season. To me, the unofficial deadline for a Terry McLaurin contract extension this off-season is the start of training camp. If the commanders don't have an extension done with Terry by the start of training camp, then it's time to be concerned. Although even then, uh, you shouldn't just lose all hope because an extension still could get done during training camp. But training camp last year ended up serving as an unofficial deadline for the Jonathan Allen contract extension. His extension was officially announced by Washington last July 27th. I tell you, the commanders in Terry McLaurin really do have something special. You know, a high-level receiver who isn't a diva. You think about all of the high-level receivers in recent NFL history who have acted like divas or who at the very least have ended up wanting to be traded and have let those wants be known. Uh, You could argue that if any high-level receiver in the NFL has been justified in wanting to be traded, it is Terry, given the extreme quarterback instability with which he has played over his three seasons with Washington. And yet the guy has been like a model citizen. Uh, Never take for granted what our commanders have in Terry McLaurin and never take for granted your health, including the health of your skin. And whatever your dermatological needs may be, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist at Mohs Surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Commanders fan. He's a loyal listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Uh, The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. If you're dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you are dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Verghese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers, including treatments that many other practices do not offer, like SRT, which is superficial radiation therapy. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. But call 301-396-3401. You also can visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skin care, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you.
We now are inside of a week until the 2022 NFL Draft, in which our commanders have the number 11 overall pick and also have the number 47 overall pick. Uh, It sure doesn't seem like the commanders will be taking a quarterback with their first round pick in the 2022 draft, but what about with their second round pick in the 2022 draft? What about later in the 2022 draft? What should the commanders be thinking regarding potentially taking a quarterback in this 2022 draft? Well, I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast a special guest. He is Samuel Gold, uh, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube. Uh, Samuel Gold has close to 97,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel, and he, on his YouTube channel, has put together a series of terrific breakdowns of the top quarterbacks in the 2022 draft. Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Matt Corral, and Sam Howell. Uh, Also, Samuel is a fan of the Commanders, so he is a particularly good person to have on this podcast. Uh, You can follow Samuel on Twitter, at Samuel R. Gold. Hey, Samuel, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. So before we get to your breakdowns of the top quarterbacks in the 2022 draft, this is the first time that I've talked to you since the Commanders traded it for Carson Wentz. Uh, What do you think? Commander Carson, uh, are you a fan of the trade or are you not so much a fan of the trade? I am not a fan. <laughs> it's uh, it was um, a shocking day. I got multiple "Are you okay?" text messages from friends and family members alike. Uh, it was one of those days that I really didn't like it. Um, we traded what two third round picks. Um, I didn't like the fact that we kept his contract at what twenty eight million dollars. Um, he still has a couple years left uh, on that contract, right? And I I didn't like it. I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan. Yeah, I think that a lot of people listening are in agreement with you. Uh, I personally did not want the commanders touching Carson Wentz this offseason. I have tried to be open-minded about the trade since it happened. I do think that there's upside with Wentz, but it's impossible not to be concerned given all of the red flags. So with the commanders going into the 2022 draft, uh, we all know that this 2022 draft quarterback class is widely considered to be lackluster. What do you think that the commanders should be thinking regarding potentially taking a quarterback at some point in the 2022 draft? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And for me, it kind of comes down to the philosophy on if you're going to keep Wentz long term. Um, for me, I don't, I don't want to. Uh, personally, and that's not because Wentz isn't an upgrade over Heineke, because he is. He's definitely an upgrade over Heineke, and I think he's the best quarterback we currently have. Um, I just don't see that long-term upside. I'm in the opinion that if you don't have a top seven or top eight type of guy, you need to find that guy and you need to move on. It sure doesn't feel like the Commanders will be taking a quarterback with their number 11 overall pick in the 2022 draft. Uh, That said, let's say that Malik Willis of Liberty, for whatever reason, is available to the Commanders at 11. Should they take him? Uh, That's a good question. I currently have him as kind of a mid to late first round grade. Um, So at number 11, it would be on the upper side of what I would want to pay for him. Uh, If they did take him there, that tells me that they have confidence that they like his upside and they, they see uh, that kind of franchise value in him. Um, Ideally uh, you trade down and you get him lower on. 
I just I just don't think he's going to last that long. I th- I think he's going to be gone within the first say twelve to fifteen picks in this year's draft. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we have two things with quarterbacks in every NFL draft, where they should go and where they do go. And as we all know, quarterbacks so often get taken higher than their overall big board rankings. Uh, What about Kenny Pickett of Pitt? Uh, It has been said that he is the most NFL-ready of the quarterbacks in this draft. I know, though, that you have concerns with Pickett. Uh, How do you view Pickett? Yeah, um, I, I'm exactly as you just said that. Uh, I like Kenny. Kenny Pickett is actually my fourth quarterback on my board. Um, I don't. I don't like him nearly as much as, as as some of the other scouts or some of the other analysts think. If he's taken, in my opinion, I don't even think he's a first round quarterback. Um, the thing is that with Kenny Pickett is that he has very good accuracy. And he made some pretty good throws, especially with his ability to improvise, his ability to extend plays. But the one thing that kind of got to me, though, is that he seems a little bit skittish. Like when he's in the pocket and he gets under pressure, he becomes a little bit too observant of that pressure and how that affects his process. I feel like once he starts feeling that pressure, he doesn't fully get back to the, the structure of the offense. He doesn't step up. He doesn't, he doesn't look for that next read. It seems like he just wants to, he just wants to run. Um, and that concerns me because I don't think that's going to go away. That seems like something, if you remember, uh, when Sam Darnold started seeing ghosts back in the day, it almost feels like that. And, and seeing that from a guy in college alone, not even against NFL defenders, um, that kind of terrifies me. One of the things that really stands out about Kenny Pickett is how much better he was in his 2021 redshirt senior season at Pitt compared to his first three seasons as Pitt's starting quarterback. Are you at all troubled by Pickett's first three seasons as Pitt's starting quarterback, or not so much? Uh, it doesn't really bother me as much. I, I feel like you, you see those you see these type of quarterbacks that just, they kind of just step up in their final seasons because they finally um, hone in on their accuracy, they do their mechanics, they finally get the full structure of the of the system. I mean, I agree, he, he had this uh, ridiculous meteoric rise in terms of, of his stats from his, what is it, previous two years throwing for what, like 12 or 13 touchdowns and a few picks, and then he threw for, what, 20-something or 30-something touchdowns. Um, I don't really view that as as a negative or anything like that or as like a one-year wonder type thing. Uh, to me, it's more about the process that I saw even in that even in that uh, upswing in terms of his abilities from this past season. Um, that, that's, that's, where, that's really where my concern comes down to. Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati. Uh, Perhaps no quarterback in the 2022 draft has seen his stock rise more than Ritter has over these last few weeks. He had the great performance at the 2022 NFL Scouting Combine. Uh, I had Austin Gale of Pro Football Focus on Wednesday show episode 296. Austin has Ritter as the QB1 in this draft. Uh, Where is Samuel Gold on Desmond Ritter? Uh, he's my number two quarterback behind Malik Willis. I, I like him a lot, and I can see exactly why a guy like Austin Gale or, or some of the other PFF guys, um, why they like him. Uh, for me, it comes down to his ability to operate an offense, and I, I think I think I would crown him as the most pro-ready entering the NFL draft. Um, Cincinnati's diverse use of quick game concepts like stick, hitch flat, spot, all hitches, um, he threw with great timing. He can work through his progressions. He has a good feel for pressure while keeping his eyes down the field. Uh, very quick release, or I, I'll say this. He sometimes had a quick release. Other times his arm would dip and then it would extend. Um, I think I think generally speaking, 
Uh, I think he is your most Kirk Cousins-like quarterback in this draft in terms of getting rid of the football, going through his reads, um, and having that as a part of his offense. Um, him running what, like a 4-5 something in, in the 40, that one shocked me, actually. I, I knew he was athletic, but not 4-5 athletic. And, it, and it's kind of crazy because it didn't really show up that much in terms of uh, how he extended plays or used that as a part of his system or, or, or his abilities. It was more of, um, you know, I'm just going to read the concept, get the ball out, and get it to my players. And, and to, to be fair, that was really impressive. He was able to work, you know, through a full three reads and work to a backside dig and hit it on timing. And that's really impressive for a college quarterback. Um, and he did it routinely. I know that we should never make too big of a deal out of one game or two games in evaluating a quarterback. That said, it's hard for me to get past Desmond Ritter last college football season having struggled in a Cincinnati win at Navy and having looked like a mess in Cincinnati's loss to Alabama in the college football playoff semis. And I get it, Bama is Bama, but Ritter struggling at Navy uh, really stood out to me. To what extent do you factor in particularly bad games for quarterbacks in your assessments of quarterbacks? Yeah, I, I try not to focus on one or two games, but man, sometimes it's just either so bad or so good that you kind of have to sit there and wonder if that's like, that's who you're looking at, if that's, you know, if that's the hand that, if that's really the type of prospect they are. Like when we talk about Sam Howell, his game against South Carolina was exactly that. It was an elite performance that it, it honestly blew away the rest of his games. Um, and it kind of changed my viewpoint on him a little bit, at least. Um, but in terms of Desmond Ritter, uh, I completely agree with you. That Navy game was, was pitiful from multiple standpoints. There were two throws that I remember, one to the flat where he just kind of skied it um, a little bit late throwing it and got picked off. And then you have um, a deep corner out. Uh, where there's a safety uh, or, a, or a deep third cornerback sitting there and he just jumps on it. And it was the easiest pick I've ever seen in my life. Um, and then when it comes to the Alabama game, um, I'm going to be, I'm going to give him and his team the benefit of the doubt by saying that uh, the level of talent disparity and the amount of pressure he was under in that game was nothing like I've ever seen from his team or from anybody really in that offense. And straight up, they just weren't ready for it they just didn't seem prepared um it just it felt like the entire team caved and because he relies so much on the timing and the anticipatory throws for the quick game um and because he isn't that great at extending plays even though he i think he does have that ability a little bit uh, he just he just he couldn't step up to that 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 game and i'm i'm hoping he learns from it but yeah i mean it was it's, it's obviously a flag Great insight from Samuel Gold on the quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL Draft. Much more of that insight coming up shortly, but if you need insight on buying a home in the ultra-competitive real estate market that is the Washington, D.C. real estate market, contact Kellen Hunt. Uh, It is a jungle out there. You have people lined up for showings. You have investors with cash offers. You have bidding wars over asking prices. You want to buy a home, but things can be confusing, even intimidating. Uh, In Chevy Chase, Maryland, 66% of homes are sold within 10 days of being listed. On Capitol Hill, 60% of homes listed are sold in 10 days or less. In Georgetown, 43% of sales so far this year have been cash transactions. And so if you want to buy a home, but aren't sure if you can or don't know where to start, don't worry contact Kellen Hunt. Uh, My man Kel is putting the real back in real estate. Kellen Hunt is here to help you because that's who it's about. You, the homebuyer. Let the showboats do what they do. Kellen Hunt is a realtor 
For the rest of us, first-time buyers looking for guidance, young families that need space to grow, the empty nesters ready to retire. You just need someone who understands the real estate market and can match you with a home that meets your needs. This is what real estate is about. You, your needs, your dreams, finding the right place for you. And Kellen Hunt isn't just a realtor. He is a person. He's a young entrepreneur, a father, a husband, a homeowner himself. He's smart, creative, and above all, Kellen Hunt gets it. Plus, he's willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So here's what you do. Go to closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com, and book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs. Uh, make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you, but go to closeitwithkell.com. Closeitwithkell.com. Kell is a closer. And tell your friends, everyone you know, looking to buy a home to book their introductory call with Kellen Hunt at closeitwithkell.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit CloseItWithKell.com and tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. We are discussing the quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL Draft and whether the Commanders should be interested in any of them with NFL analyst and Commanders fan Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room, on YouTube. So to me, the most intriguing breakdown of a quarterback in the 2022 draft that you did on your YouTube channel was the breakdown of Sam Howell of North Carolina. You believe that Howell could be the steal of the draft. Uh, That really jumped out, given that Howell may well be available to the commanders with their second round pick. Should the commanders be considering taking Sam Howell? Yeah, at, at 47, where Washington picks in the second round, I'd be all for it. Uh, Sam Howell is a very intriguing and very frustrating prospect. Um, he can whip it and he has, he has very good arm strength. He's really good at improvising and picking up yards on the ground. Um, he's like, he's, he's, he's a gamer. Like he, he goes through when he starts running, he'll juke, he'll spin, he'll lower his shoulder. Uh, you can tell, and, and, and I know this is cliche. You can, you can just tell that he wants to pick up as many yards and do it all on his own. Um, with that being said, though, he's as pure hero ball as you get. I see this kind of weird mixture between like a Baker Mayfield type body type and type type uh, type player uh, combined with a Josh Allen, honestly, a small Josh Allen who uh, very inconsistent accuracy, especially deep, but not as bad as Josh Allen was in college. Um, and a guy that um, at times he was kind of a half field or, or one or two reads then run type quarterback and and. He's, he's, he's the type of quarterback, and I said this in the video, that he either is going to be amazing or he's going to be god-awful. And, it's, and it's, you're just going to be along for the ride. Something that has come up quite a bit with Sam Howell and also Matt Corral of Ole Miss is that each guy was in an offense that made heavy usage of run-pass options, of RPOs, uh, so much so that trying to figure out how these quarterbacks will translate to the NFL is especially tricky. Did you find that to be the case? Yeah, I do. And it's 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 hard to find pure examples of a fulfilled progression from either of them. Um, there was a couple of, ex- of examples from Matt Corral where um, he would go for, through his first three reads 
And then he had that backside dig open that we talked about with Desmond Ritter that he can clearly hit uh, that, that Matt Corral just completely misses. Uh, Matt Corral is that type of quarterback that wants to run. Um, he want, he wants to take the ball himself. Um, and, and, and that's kind of when his clock is done. He's just, he just, he wants to go. Um, he was very decisive with it. I think his arm strength is actually very underrated. He can whip it. Um, his release is very quick. Um, it's just, uh, all just terrible accuracy down the field. Um, just, it's horrible. Uh, it's any sort of play where a, like where a wide receiver is semi covered and I only found maybe one or two where he actually hit, um, he would overthrow, he would underthrow, he would throw too far inside on fade routes. It was just a combination of terrible downfield throws that limited, um, his ability to create yards and points in his offense, even, even though he, he has generally pretty decent accuracy on short and medium throws. Okay, so let's net this out. The top five quarterbacks in the 2022 NFL draft per Samuel Gold are who? My ranking would be Malik Willis with a mid to late first round grade. It would then be Desmond Ritter with a late first to early second round grade. Uh, the third one would be Sam Howell with a mid-second round grade. Uh, the fourth would be Kenny Pickett with a late second round grade. And the fifth would be Matt Corral with a third round grade. Okay. So it sounds like in the second round, the commander's landing Desmond Ritter or Sam Howell, you think would be a good value pick. Now, especially with Ritter, whether he'll be there, I think is up for debate, but mm-hmm. it sounds like Ritter or Howell in the second round would make sense to you. Yeah, it would. Uh, I would be completely okay with it. Um, it just it just kind of depends on your view uh, of their upside, right? Um, in terms of, uh, I, I kind of have this hesitation to taking, uh, even just taking second round quarterbacks, because usually those are the type of guys that have kind of questionable upside, that if, if you really thought that they were going to become a franchise quarterback, they're probably worth a first round pick. So it's, there, I just don't know if there are that many cases of a second round quarterback becoming great outside of, you know, your random ones like the, what like Drew Brees or, um, then you have Russell Wilson, the third and, you know, a couple of those examples, but, um, but yeah, I mean, if, if, if you wanted to kind of take a swing at a quarterback in the second and not spend that first rounder, uh, I would be completely fine with Desmond Ritter first and then Sam Hell second. Yeah. And so you just hit on something that I was going to ask you about, and that is whether a franchise quarterback needy team like our commanders should even spend a non first round pick on a quarterback because recent NFL draft history is that non-first-round quarterbacks don't become franchise quarterbacks. I mean, at this point, you have to go back to Dak Prescott in the 2016 draft for the last non-first-round quarterback who became a franchise quarterback. And we did have a nice run from 2012 through 2016 of non-first-round quarterbacks becoming franchise quarterbacks, right? Russell Wilson and Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr and Dak Prescott, but over the last five NFL drafts, zero non-first-round quarterbacks have become franchise quarterbacks, at least so far. Uh, so with the commanders, should they spend a non-first-round pick on a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, um, I, 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 it's, it's, it's an interesting question because may, there might be a level of, um, of, of, a, of a sample size bias or, uh, you know, maybe there's maybe that's going on with the data where you can say that how many second round prospects really got uh, the due in terms of uh, the, the reps, the uh, the snaps during preseason games and, and the ability to show that they're a franchise quarterback um, or the patience just to sit there. Um, but I, I think there is some truth to that, that 
if you do not think they're if, if you think they're a franchise quarterback, you should be willing to spend a first round pick on them. And and also that comes down also to the fifth year contract. So if if maybe at forty seven you trade up to say you know twenty nine or thirty with you know the Chiefs or whoever's right there, and 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 maybe you can grab that quarterback at the end of the first and get that fifth year option um, just to extend that you know that that rookie low salary cap uh, ability. I, th- I think that would be the move. Um, then, as opposed to just sitting there waiting for forty-seven, um, and and that, and I think that only assumes, though, right, that if you think they're they have the upside of a franchise quarterback. What about Carson Strong of Nevada? Uh, the Commanders reportedly held a private workout that included Strong. Uh, there is the big concern of him potentially having this chronically injured right knee, but Strong put up some monster numbers at Nevada over the last two college football seasons. He is your prototypical big, strong-armed quarterback. Are you open to the commanders taking Strong in the 2022 draft with a day two or even day three pick? Um, I, th- I think I would rather do something like that and spending a non-premium asset. Like for me, it's first and second round picks are your premium assets, right? If, if, if they sent, if they spent the third or fourth on like a Carson strong, um, and allowed him to kind of develop for a year or two and then maybe compete with a, with a future rookie quarterback. If, if you're going to go that route, I, w- I would be okay with that. Uh, like purely from, um, a prospect standpoint, I mean, he's got a, he's got a great arm and, uh, I feel, I feel like if he w- didn't have those medical problems, I feel like he would go a lot higher. Um, I, th- I think that's the one thing about him that, He's definitely interesting in terms of uh, if he passes that medical examination where um, you could see him be kind of like a future quarterback because of that. Then in the, in the third round, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't have a problem. Going back to where we started, given the benefit of hindsight, what would you have preferred for the commanders to have done at quarterback this offseason as opposed to trading for Carson Wentz? So preferably. I wouldn't have traded for Carson Wentz. I would have waited. Um, I would have waited just just to see uh, if other quarterbacks may have become available, like your Baker Mayfields, for example. If we could have swung him for a, a fifth or sixth round pick, uh, because you know he's on um, like the end of his rookie contract, and they have Deshaun Watson and all that, um, or or something like that. I would, I would rather have done that for a year, just because I feel like we've seen more um, recent upside. Um, the previous year, for example, was a 2020 season that I thought he played really well. Um, I would have rather have done that and spent a late round pick and, and a lower dollar amount in cap space. Uh, I think the issue you get with taking a first or an early round quarterback is that you're, you're basically putting your job on the line on this quarterback, especially as he's entering what year three. So it's, it's kind of a, uh, if he takes one of those quarterbacks, it's the assumption that this is his guy and that, that we're going to judge him based on the performance of this quarterback. Um, and that's probably why they went after a, Car- uh, after a Carson Wentz so that in case one of those star quarterbacks from the next year's class, like a Bryce Young, um, they become available and were bad enough, that, then, then, then I can see him swinging hard and gaining that extra couple years of, of time. Yeah, that's what I've wondered. If perhaps the thinking from Ron Rivera is, hey, this 2022 draft quarterback class isn't good. Let's take a swing with Carson Wentz. If he works out, great. If not, then we'll swing big for a quarterback in a 2023 draft for which the quarterback class seems quite good. Yeah, I think it's also kind of like, um, I think it's also proof that 
if Carson Wentz even gets his team an extra say, you know, I, I like wins above replacement as kind of like my, one of my main metrics. Um, if Carson Wentz can be a, you know, like a plus one or at most like a plus one and a half win type of quarterback and you aren't, you know, you aren't losing games because of him. Um, this, this team overall is good enough that they should be a playoff contender with that. The question is, are they a Super Bowl contender? And, and the answer is probably no. Uh, but, but at the very least, it, it'll probably be confirmation bias for the rest of the team in the organization to say, we have the team, we just need the quarterback and let's find a new one. Yeah, I think the commanders would take a 9-8, and 10-7 and seven record for the 2022 regular season uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, as much as everything should be about becoming a Super Bowl contender, I think that the focus right now is on this coming season, having a winning record in the regular season and being a playoff team. And personally, I do think that those things could happen. Uh, NFL analyst and Commanders fan Samuel Gold, the creator of Sam's Film Room on YouTube, he has close to 97,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel. Uh, Samuel, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast and continued success. Yeah, happy to come on. Up next, I'm talking Nationals, a frustrating conclusion to an also winnable series for the Nats and also a very mixed Thursday for the Nats in terms of injury news. I'll get to all of that and more after this. All right, so like so many of you, I work out, I try to eat healthy, I want to be healthy, but like so many of you, I'm busy, you know, two podcasts, two young kids, crazy hours, a house, you know how it is. Uh, We want to be healthy, but we have like a million things going on, and so that's why I leave my meals to Factor. Factor is the ultimate meal plan for people who want to be healthy, but who don't have the time to be planning and prepping meals. And Factor right now is offering a great deal to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Factor makes it easy to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never-frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious you wouldn't believe that they're actually good for you. Factor saves you time by delivering chef-crafted meals right to where you live, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep, Uh, not to mention cleanup, no dishes to wash. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. It's even faster than ordering in. And Factor meals are put together by registered dietitians and expert chefs who work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. Also, you won't get bored with Factor. Uh, Factor offers more than 29 meal options each week. Uh, Factor knows my preferences. My favorites are the buffalo chicken, the keto chili, and the Santa Fe beef bowl. Especially for those of you who work out, want to eat clean, want to put on muscle, Factor is perfect for you. So here's what you do. Visit go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Yeah, you heard that right. $120 off. That's go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 off. Hey, especially with inflation, who couldn't use saving $120 right now? Give Factor a try. Save yourself $120 and tell me what you think. Visit go.factor75.com slash Galdi120 and use the code Galdi120 to get $120 
$50 off. You got to try Factor because fitness starts with food. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you can't say that the Nationals on Thursday did not have their chances. Uh, the Nats on Thursday in the bottom of the ninth while trailing the Arizona Diamondbacks by one run with the bases loaded and two outs had the best hitter in baseball, the best hitter on the planet, Juan Soto, at the plate. He was facing former Nats closer Mark Melanson. We had drama. We had excitement at Nationals Park. And what happened? Uh, Soto fell behind 0-2 and then popped out to Diamondbacks third baseman Yanni Hernandez to end the game. A major wah-wah to end the game and the series, uh, a series in which the Nats won the first two games via a doubleheader sweep on Tuesday, but then lost the last two games. Uh, 4-3 was the final on Thursday. The Nats now are 6-9 and nine on the season. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez on Thursday evening during his post-game press conference on Juan Soto's bases loaded pop-out to end the game. You know, you know, two strikes. He's just trying to protect the plate right there, and the ball was just a little up. Uh, but I'll take my chances with Juan up there with bases loaded uh, a lot. I hope he gets up there a lot with bases loaded. Yeah, it's interesting with Juan Soto so far this season. He's overall hitting well. He has an OPS of 928, but he also has just three runs batted in, just three RBI. Now, A, that tells you how and why you cannot judge hitters on their RBI totals. Uh, But B, Soto has not been coming up to hit with runners on base nearly often enough. His great hitting has not benefited the Nats nearly as much as you would love for the great hitting to have benefited the Nats. Well, Thursday, Soto did get a major opportunity with runners on base, but he did not come through. Thursday's loss for the Nats was another frustrating game offensively for the Nats. Just three runs, just five hits. The Nats did draw four walks, but the Nats went 0 for 4 
with runners in scoring position. No fail with runners in scoring position was bigger than Juan Soto's in that bottom of the ninth. Uh, Soto on Thursday was an ad starting right fielder and number two batter. He went over three with two walks. But like I said, overall, Juan Soto is doing quite well so far this season. Uh, Thursday's game was a very winnable game for the Nats. Uh, This was a very winnable series for the Nats against a team in the Diamondbacks that isn't very good. But if we're being honest about things, the Nats aren't very good. Uh, But the Nats bullpen was very good on Thursday and was quite good in this series, certainly in three of the four games in the series. Uh, The Nats bullpen kept the Nats in this game on Thursday. Uh, The Nats starting pitcher was Josh Rogers. He struggled for a second consecutive start. Rogers allowed four runs in four and a third innings. He gave up six hits, three home runs, and three singles. Uh, He issued one walk, recorded just two strikeouts. He threw 71 pitches over his four and a third innings. Uh, Rogers in the top of the first gave up a two-out opposite field solo homer to Matt Davidson to right center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 1-0 Diamondbacks lead. Rogers in the top of the second gave up a two-out opposite field solo homer to Jake McCarthy to left center field for a 2-0 Diamondbacks lead, despite McCarthy having been down at the count at 1.02. And Rogers in the top of the fifth gave up a two-run homer to Cooper Hummel to left field for a 4-2 Diamondbacks lead. Uh, like I said, this performance did mark Josh Rogers struggling for a second consecutive start. Rogers in the 6-4 loss at the Pittsburgh Pirates this past Saturday evening allowed three runs in four and a third innings. Uh, the Nats on April 11th recalled Rogers from AAA Rochester and placed Anibal Sanchez on the 10-day injured list with a cervical neck impingement. So Rogers was not supposed to be in the Nats season opening rotation, even though to me, you very much could have argued that Rogers deserved to be in the Nats season opening rotation over Anibal Sanchez. Uh, but Rogers now has struggled in each of his last two starts. He was no good in his first start of the 2022 regular season. Uh, Rodgers in at 11-2 win at the Atlanta Braves on April 11th allowed one run in five and a third innings. He at one point retired 10 consecutive Braves batters. It's funny with Rodgers, three starts in this 2022 regular season. The one start in which he has been good was the start at the reigning defending World Series champion Braves and the two starts in which he has struggled have been against two bad teams in the Pirates and the Diamondbacks. But yeah, Josh Rogers struggled on Thursday, but the Nats bullpen was terrific. And this was not the Nats A bullpen. Uh, This was not the Nats varsity bullpen. Uh, Davey Martinez on Thursday used the following five relievers. Victor Arano, Sam Clay, Austin Voth, Erasmo Ramirez, and Andres Machado. Uh, Not exactly a who's who of bullpen excellence, but those five relievers combined for four and two-thirds scoreless innings with six strikeouts. Excellent job by those five guys. Uh, Victor Arano came into the game in the top of the fifth with one out and sandwiched two outs around a two-out six-pitch walk of Kristen Walker, who then was caught stealing second base via a throw by Arano to second. Sam Clay tossed a scoreless top of the sixth. Austin Voth tossed a scoreless top of the seventh with three strikeouts. Now, he gave up a leadoff double, but then recorded three straight strikeouts, and the three strikeouts were of the top three batters in the Diamondbacks lineup. Uh, Erasmo Ramirez tossed a scoreless top of the eighth despite loading the bases with one out, and Andres Machado tossed a perfect top of the ninth. So, you know, the innings weren't always clean, but the run prevention ultimately was there. Again, 
the five Nats relievers combined for four and two-thirds shutout innings with six strikeouts. Davey Martinez on Thursday evening during his postgame press conference on the performance of his bullpen. That was really good. Uh, those guys came in there, got big outs for us. Uh, you know, Rosmo, who just showed up you know, today, uh, we put him in the game. Um, and, you know, we knew he was pitching well. We got a little, into a little bit of a jam, but he's, you know, he's been around. He understands that you know, the game had how to pitch, and he made some good pitches when he needed to, and got out of a big jam. Then, then, you know, Machado uh, came in there, and um, man, he, he was lights out. He threw the ball really well. His changeup was good today, and, and he was up to 98. So that was good to see. Yeah, Thursday marked the third time in four games in the series that the Nats' bullpen was good. Uh, four Nats relievers in the 6-1 win over the Diamondbacks on Tuesday afternoon in Game 1 of the doubleheader sweep by the Nats combined for three and two-thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts. And three Nats relievers in the one nothing win over the Diamondbacks on Tuesday night in Game 2 of the doubleheader sweep combined for two and two-thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts. But what the Nats' bullpen did on Thursday came off more bad news for the bullpen. Uh, So the Nats on Wednesday afternoon placed reliever Sean Doolittle on the 10-day injured list with a left elbow sprain. Uh, The Nats on Thursday afternoon placed reliever Hunter Harvey on the 10-day injured list with a right pronator strain. Uh, The corresponding roster moves with the Nats recalling reliever Erasmo Ramirez from AAA Rochester and transferring utility man A. Ray Adrianza to the 60-day injured list uh, with his left quadriceps strain. That's actually significant because Adrianza was supposed to help the Nats with something that they sorely lacked last season. And that something was, wait for it, position flex. Position flex. Yes. Ron Rivera's favorite concept, position flex. Uh, The Nats in the 2021 season were so lacking in guys who were versatile in terms of the positions that those guys could play. Well, A. Ray Adrianza is not a very good hitter, but he can play all over the field. But Adrianza isn't healthy and isn't going to be playing for the Nats anytime soon. He suffered this left quadriceps strain in an exhibition game on March 31st. He has yet to play so far in this 2022 regular season, and now he's going to be out for at least a little while longer because he's been moved to the 60-day IL. Uh, Now, that's backdated to the start of the regular season, but that means that we ain't going to be seeing no A. Ray Adrianza until June, and that's an if. I mean, there's no guarantee that we'll be seeing Adrianza in June. Uh, Hunter Harvey had been doing well for the Nats. Four games, two and two-thirds scoreless innings, but now he is hurt again. Uh, If you are an Orioles fan, or if you at the very least have followed the O's, you know that injuries have been the story of the career of Hunter Harvey. Uh, The O's took Hunter Harvey with the number 22 overall pick in the 2013 MLB draft. He's still fairly young. Uh, This season is only his age 27 season, but Harvey's eight plus years with the O's were marked by one injury after another. I mean, it was just a parade of one uh, arm injury, shoulder injury after another. And here we are now, and he has yet another arm injury, a right pronator strain that has landed him on the 10-day injured list. Uh, And then with the Nats hitting on Thursday, well, the hitting on Thursday struggled again. I mean, you know, we mentioned this a few minutes ago. Here we are now, the Nats 15 games into their 2022 regular season. The Nats have a team OPS of just 613. How about this? The Nats through 15 games this season have scored 56 runs. 
But that total includes a game in which the Nats scored 11 runs. The Nats in their other 14 games this season have scored just 45 runs. That works out to just 3.2 runs per game. Now, there were some offensive bright spots for the Nats on Thursday, none bigger than Nelson Cruz homering. It was great to see this. Uh, Cruz was an ad starting DH and number three batter. He went one for four with a two-run homer. Uh, Cruz in an ad's two-run fourth smashed a two-run homer on a bomb to left field to tie the game at two. The homer for StatCast went and projected 426 feet and had an exit velocity of 112.5 miles per hour. But this was the Nats' first home run in five games. Okay, yeah. The Nats had gone four consecutive games without a homer. Uh, The homer was just the Nats' eighth home run this season and was just Cruz's second homer of the season. Uh, I do expect Nelson Cruz to hit for the Nats this season, but he has not looked good so far this season. Nelson Cruz, through 14 games in the 2022 regular season, has a batting average of just 200, has an on-base percentage of just 279, has a slugging percentage of just 309, but that was some shot that he belted on Thursday. Uh, Josh Bell did play on Thursday, and that in and of itself was good news, because Bell in the Nats 11-2 loss to the Diamondbacks on Wednesday night left the game due to an ailing left knee. Josh Bell missing time due to injury was like the last thing that the Nats needed because Bell has been terrific so far this year, uh, but he did start on Thursday. He was back out there as an Nats starting first baseman and number four batter. He went 0 for 3 with an RBI, and the RBI came in a very unique way. Bell in an Nats one run eighth reached base with the bases loaded and two outs on catcher interference, and he got credited with an RBI as the Nats' deficit got cut to 4-3. But if Josh Bell reaching base via catcher interference sounds familiar, it should, because Bell in that Nats 6-4 loss at the Pirates this past Saturday evening in the top of the first reached base with two outs via catcher interference. I don't know what's going on, but Josh Bell has become a magnet for catcher interference this season. Uh, Kate Bear Ruiz on Thursday had two hits. He was a Nats starting catcher at number five batter. He went two for four with two singles. Uh, Ruiz in the bottom of the fourth had a one-out first pitch opposite field single to left field, and Ruiz in the bottom of the seventh had a leadoff single on a ground ball through the left side of the infield. Uh, Alcides Escobar on Thursday reached base twice. He was the Nats starting shortstop and number eight batter. He went one for three with a single and a walk. Escobar in that Nats one-run eighth had a leadoff seven-pitch walk. Escobar in the bottom of the ninth had a two-out single up the middle. And Victor Robles on Thursday reached base twice. He was an Nats starting center fielder and number nine batter, one for three with a single and a walk. Robles in the bottom of the third drew a two-out five-pitch walk. And Robles in the bottom of the ninth had a two-out first pitch opposite field single to right field. Uh, next up for the Nats, a three-game series against the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park. Game one, Friday night at 7.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, we on Thursday had some controversy for the Orioles. Uh, The O's on Thursday lost at the Oakland A's 6-4 in Game 4 of a four-game series. Uh, The O's lost three of the four games in the series. O's this season now are just 4-9. And on Thursday, both Orioles designated hitter Trey Mancini and Orioles manager Brandon Hyde got ejected. Uh, Mancini and Hyde 
got ejected in the top of the fourth inning. So with nobody on base, two outs, and the O's trailing 2-0, Mancini hit a grounder that went off a starter Paul Blackburn to second baseman Nick Allen, who then committed a throwing error. Uh, Mancini overran first base, and then while walking back to first base, was tagged out by A's catcher Sean Murphy. Uh, This was brutal especially given how bad the O's have been offensively so far this season. The O's need every base runner that they can get, and here you have the O's gifting away a base runner. Uh, Mancini was called out by the first base umpire, Rob Drake. Now, if you're wondering, well, was the right call made? Uh, The answer is this. Technically, yes, but I emphasize that word technically. Uh, If you go by the Major League Baseball rulebook, Drake technically was correct. Uh, The application of the rule certainly appeared against the spirit of what Trey Mancini was doing. But yeah, if you want to be technical about things, Drake probably was right. Uh, According to the MLB rulebook, a runner can be tagged out when, quote, he is tagged when the ball is alive while off his base. Exception, a batter runner cannot be tagged out after overrunning or oversliding first base if he returns immediately to the base. And quote, also, a runner can be called out if, quote, he fails to return at once to first base after overrunning or oversliding that base. If he attempts to run to second, he is out when tagged. If after overrunning or oversliding first base, he starts toward the dugout or toward his position and fails to return to first base at once, he is out on appeal when he or the base is tagged. End quote. There's a lot to take in there. Here's the bottom line. This is a judgment call, and the judgment, yes, could have been made given the way uh, all of that reads. But again, was Trey Mancini just trying to return to first base off having overrun it? Yeah, okay. So technically, uh, the call was made in a correct fashion. But again, in the spirit of what Mancini was doing, no, uh, that was bad, really bad what ended up happening. And the O's were furious. And the O's right now are frustrated, really frustrated, because the O's are not hitting and are not scoring runs. Uh, But this was Brandon Hyde on Thursday during his post-game session with reporters. Well, I mean, you know, the umpire says that he had intent to go to second base, and I just didn't see any intent by Trey. They just squared up and went back to the first base, and Trey thought he did the same thing. And, and, uh, they told us to look at it, and we did. And never, in our view, it's not. There was no intent there, so you know those things happen. Yes, they do happen, and they did happen on Thursday. Uh, more lackluster hitting for the O's on Thursday. Just seven hits, just one walk. Uh, Austin Hayes was the Orioles' starting right fielder and number six batter. He did have two hits and two RBI. Uh, Hayes had a one-out first pitch RBI double in the top of the fifth and an RBI single in an Orioles two-run seventh. But the O's through 13 games in the 2022 regular season have a team OPS of just 583. I mean, I last segment talked about the Nationals hitting having struggled so far in this 2022 regular season. Well, the Nats team OPS so far this season is 613. The Orioles team OPS so far this season is 30 points lower at 583. Uh, That's not good. 
Uh, also not good for the O's in this 6-4 loss at the A's on Thursday was the end of uh, the streak. Uh, no, not the Cal Ripken Jr. Ironman streak, but the streak of the Orioles in each of their previous six games having gotten an at least a solid outing from the Orioles starting pitcher in the game. Uh, now, you knew that the run would not last forever, and given the state of the Orioles starting pitching, uh, you may even have known that the run would not last for another game. Uh, but sure enough, the run now is over. Uh, Tyler Wells was the Orioles starting pitcher on Thursday. Remember, the O's are converting Wells from a reliever to a starter and are having him do these tandem starts. Well, Wells now has struggled in two of his first three starts in the 2022 regular season. Wells on Thursday allowed two runs in two and a third innings. He gave up five hits, a homer, two doubles, and two singles. He did issue no walks, but he recorded just one strikeout. He threw 54 pitches over his two and a third innings. Brandon Hyde on Thursday during his postgame session with reporters on Tyler Wells. I just think Tyler had his, had great command today. Um, you know, that, that third inning led to a 32 pitches, uh, 31, 32 pitches there. Um, so, you know, I had to get him out of the game at that point. But it was, I just, you know, he, for me, he just wasn't real sharp. I thought he was just missing when he was missing. Uh, he left some balls middle that got hit. Um, but, you know, it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't his sharpest day on the mound. And, and uh, hopefully he'll bounce back and learn from it and be better his next time out. Yeah, Tyler Wells did not do well on Thursday. He was good in his previous start, which came in the Orioles' 5-2 loss to the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards this past Saturday night. Wells in that game tossed four scoreless innings, but Wells in the Orioles' 8-0 loss at the Tampa Bay Rays on April 10th lasted for just one and two-thirds innings. He allowed four runs in the one and two-thirds innings. Uh, also on Thursday, Keegan Aiken, who had been doing really well as a reliever, Gave up a homer. Uh, Aiken gave up a two-out, two-run homer to Sean Murphy in the bottom of the fifth for a 4-1 A's lead. Next up for the O's, a three-game series at the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, game one on Friday night at 9.38. Bruce Zimmerman will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 299. Yes, we are closing in on episode 300. But Monday show, episode 299, will mark the start of a big week on the podcast. NFL draft week, lots of commanders talk on the podcast throughout next week. Uh, also on Monday's show, discuss our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. Our Stanley Cup playoff-bound Capitals have five regular season games left. Two of those games are this weekend. The Caps will be at the Arizona Coyotes Friday night at 10.30 to conclude a five-game road trip, and the Caps will host the Toronto Maple Leafs Sunday night at 7. The Nationals this weekend have a three-game series against the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park. The Orioles this weekend have a three-game series at the Los Angeles Angels. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Position flexed. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. 
with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.